0: The Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market clamor to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired
1: by the classic investing truism attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short run and a weighing machine over the long term. In other words, Emotion drives short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations drive returns over time.
0: Welcome to The Weighing Machine.
1: Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think.
0: On the podcast today, new highs in the market, good news on a potential vaccine, and we have a new president, right? We all agree? How will four years of Joe Biden at the helm impact the markets?
1: We will also discuss the rapidly growing popularity of model portfolios, the surging field of FinTech, and the latest in cryptocurrency. Welcome to The Weighing Machine, I'm Rusty Vanneman.
0: And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. We had a few days of uncertainty as the vote count lingered on in several states, and as of now counting is continuing, but the election was eventually called and the market seemed to shrug off the uncertainty and really enjoyed a great start to November. So what are we watching for in the markets now?
1: All that happened. And of course, the, the great potential news on the vaccine to start off the new week. So the market's moved to new highs. We've entered a period of uh, seasonal strength. And then I think, and I just wrote these notes down before, I kind of like them too, but I think uh, common ground and compromise have hopefully replaced conflict and chaos. And The one thing is investor mood has been so cautious, have not outright bearish all year. And I'm pretty optimistic that investor mood will brighten up. We've seen a massive rotation um, so far this month and towards more cyclical, smaller companies, value stocks. We've kind of been seeing it since uh, the middle of the summer, but today was a really big rotation. And I think a lot of it's based
0: off investor optimism. Right. Well, we do have a new president. I don't know if the current president thinks we have a new president, but we do. The race has been called and Joe Biden is president-elect. Um, so I do want to talk about what we expect for the markets in a Biden presidency. But first, what do we expect from now until January 20th when the transition of power is complete?
1: Well, I guess there's sort of, the, again, the market expectations and I kind of I think again, we should be hopefully ending a period of a little more optimism. I mean, there's pent-up economic demand, but I think there's pent-up investor demand as well. And I think on the political scene, we're probably getting a lot of headlines, but I don't think the market's really expecting too many surprises. Probably the biggest curveball is in early January, uh, the senators in Georgia. Um, uh, but And so that could have an impact on the selection of cabinet secretaries. But for the most part, again, I think um, the market is pretty much expecting no surprises and, again, sort of this this attitude of common ground instead of chaos.
0: Right. Well, a Biden presidency is sure to look a lot different from a Trump presidency, but will there be substantial differences from an investor's standpoint?
1: Probably. And, you know, I think some of the easy layup slam dunks that people are expecting don't necessarily play out. But I think the general expectations because of the election is... Uh, in terms of taxes, don't expect dramatic change, at least in the near term. Um, I think that uh, in terms of trade talks, uh, probably will improve um, in terms of our relationships around the world. Um, I think that while Granted, the stimulus, I kind of think that's uh, obviously the sizing of the stimulus and the timing of it will be delayed, Uh, but I'm still actually optimistic that uh, because of the vaccine news as well, that we will get that uptick in growth, perhaps inflation, and again, the investor mood. So I think the market outlook for the most part is pretty positive moving forward.
0: All right. Well, let's bring in our guest. Matt Goulet is a senior vice president of Portfolio Solutions at Fidelity Investments. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me.
1: Matt, before we really get down to business, two really important things. First of all, congratulations on Notre Dame beating Clemson. That was huge. Big win. How about them Irish?
2: Uh, it feels like we got all the horses running this year, but you know there's still a few more games to go. But thank you, Rusty.
1: Yeah, I mean it was kind of messing up the beginning of Saturday Night Live, but I guess we could still watch it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That was fine. The uh, second item of business, also equally as important, is a common question we like to ask our guests is when they make an appearance on the show, what would you have as your walk-up song? What would be that background music for Matt Goulet?
2: So I, you did tell me about this in advance. I had some time to think about it. And I think it's this classic story about the relationship between an end investor and a financial advisor. It's called You Make My Dreams by Hall & Oates. And if you think about the lyrics, what I got full stock of thoughts and dreams that scatter, and you pull them all together, and how I can't explain, that's just pure financial advice poetry talks about how that investor works with the advisor on, on making dreams come true.
1: Nice. Uh, you know what? I think we might have to go back to the tapes, but I think Hall & might be our first two-time artist for a walk-up song on the show. We're gonna have to double-check that one. Same song or different song?
0: I I don't remember. Do you remember, Robin? I don't remember. Yeah, that was a really thoughtful response. So I that feel was, like that, that was good. Yeah, that was good. All right. Well, Matt, you've been at Fidelity Investments for I think eight years now. Is that right?
2: That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. And before that, you were at BlackRock and you were at State Street, um, all storied places. Can you tell us more about the work that you do at Fidelity and how you started in investing? Yeah. So I
2: started out in the ETF industry at Spider ETFs. and, And then after that, I worked at BlackRock iShares where I worked on a portfolio team. And one of the things we recognized at the time was it wasn't so much about the building block, the ETF itself. It was really about having this thoughtful dialogue around portfolio construction I moved to Fidelity about eight years ago, and I've spent the first part of my time at Fidelity helping build out our active sector mutual fund lineup and many of our ETF products. And then more recently, I've led our portfolio solutions group, where we work with financial advisors and broker-dealers on model portfolios. Uh, part of your question was also Fidelity, and Fidelity Investments is known for its branded channels, its branches, its its phone service, its 401k business. I actually work in Fidelity's institutional channel, known as FI, where we are the number one custody and clearing firm for independent advisors. We custody and clear assets for 3,000 REAs, over a hundred broker dealers. And really the, the, the core business is asset management and portfolio construction, where there are tens of thousands of financial advisors that use Fidelity mutual funds, ETFs, and, and separately managed accounts.
1: Right on. So I want to dig a, a little bit deeper on model portfolios because, first of all, they are exploding in popularity with advisors. So I have a couple questions on that. So how and why are financial advisors using model portfolios? And what do you think makes a good one from an investment standpoint?
2: So the why is the first part. We talk about the advisor value stack or the advice value stack. And this idea, it's it's based on actually Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where At the base of the foundation, if you can picture a pyramid, is managing the money. That's the core foundation to any financial advisor's practice and business. To be able to move up that value stack and really go deeper with your clients and focus on financial planning, you need to have that solid foundation. When we look at generational studies about what younger investors want from a financial advisor relative to baby boomers, you see these big differences. So younger generations, Gen X and Gen Y, over 62% of them want comprehensive services from their financial advisor, whereas only 25% of baby boomers have that expectation of comprehensive services as defined by tax and estate planning, things that are beyond just that foundational managing the money. And so I I draw this analogy. Imagine if Amazon only sold books or Yelp only rated restaurants or in in a modern day era for financial advisors, imagine if advisors only built investment models and that's all they do. I think that's what's changing is as younger generations accumulate this wealth, the advisor needs to do more with the same level of resources. That's why financial advisors are embracing model portfolios and why we're seeing so much growth in this area. The second part of your question, which was how do they do it and then what makes a good model portfolio? The how, I think it's first as an advisor, just embracing this idea of having a systematic and repeatable process to portfolio construction over a third of advisors are still creating custom ad hoc portfolios for every single client that walks in their door. And that's just not sustainable long-term for advisors who are trying to maintain or even grow their business. Uh, The second part, which was what makes a good model portfolio. I think of a good model portfolio, it's like a good meal. It's simple, only has a few ingredients, and it's the presentation of the dish that, that matters just as much as the actual ingredients and how they're prepared. You need the right balance of strong investment performance from a model portfolio perspective with stellar advisor service. So the work that firms like Orion and firms like Fidelity are doing with advisors, it's one part strong investments, one part stellar advisor service. And that's what makes a good model portfolio from my perspective.
1: Yeah. Well, that was a lot of good stuff. That's almost like this is the time on the podcast where you hit like the rewind 30 seconds, 30 seconds, so you can take it all down <laughs> again, write all the notes. So, all right. So related to this, um, why is the ability to customize portfolios so important for advisors and investors? Customization is a big word in the industry. Why is that so important?
2: It's it's critical. You think about how we think this business will evolve It was really firms like Orion and and the legacy CLS organization that you were such a big part of that started off with this idea of ETF model portfolios 7, 10, 15 years ago. It's really only been more recently that the larger asset managers like Fidelity have entered the marketplace and started delivering those types of portfolios to advisors. And for us to succeed as a business going forward, it is all about customization. That can happen at the advisor level or at the home office level. Uh, But our most frequent customization requests right now I'd classify it as practical or functional. It's things like, hey, I custody at XYZ firm. I prefer to use ETFs because of transaction fees or surcharges. Can you swap out your mutual funds for these ETFs? Can you swap share classes based on what's available at a certain platform? That's the level of customization we're quite often dealing with today. But as we go forward into the future, the majority of sales and flows into models are still coming into multi-manager, multi-asset type strategies. And the customization requests are, hey, can I have that, but I want it in 10 risk buckets and not five. I want a tax aware version. I want an ESG version. All of that same kind of core target allocation strategy. So those are the requests that, that we're currently prioritizing. And like I mentioned, it's not just the customization at the advisor level and having that dialogue around portfolio construction. It's also at the home office level. To to have a sense of which underlying componentry, the mutual funds and ETFs, are on the approved list for a broker-dealer or that might be trading commission-free or with no transaction fee. These are all things that matter to the home offices that advisors choose to affiliate with.
0: Well, Matt, Fidelity offers um, a variety of interesting portfolios on Orion, both on Orion Portfolio Solutions and Orion Communities Model uh, Marketplace, including some that invest on the business cycle. Can you explain to us how those work and where are we in the business cycle currently?
2: Sure. So. A few questions there. One is just in terms of availability, you nailed it. There's the Orion Communities Model Marketplace where we have all Fidelity mutual fund and ETF models available, and we're working on separately managed accounts. That's a really unique platform where the advisor actually trades the account and has investment discretion. So there's some level of customization that could potentially be built into that platform and all for a zero platform fee uh, for the majority of Fidelity models. Orion Portfolio Solutions, uh, the the traditional TAMP business and and wealth management platform business that you have, that's where we have our target allocation models, our business cycle models, and our bond income models. Now, target allocation and business cycle, they're actually two separate and distinct model series. The target allocation series, which we launched in 2018, is based around this idea of having strategic asset allocation that doesn't change much from quarter to quarter or, or even year to year. But what is changing are the underlying components and whether we are favoring active versus passive management within a construct of a 60 40 portfolio or a 70 30 portfolio uh, et cetera. the business cycle which was what you asked about that's our active asset allocation model portfolio so that idea is built around the the concept that the economy goes through different phases of the cycle early mid late and recession and based on where you think we are you can plot out to certain sectors and asset classes around where you should be overweight and where you should be underweight. So if you think about where we are currently in the business cycle, as we record this here in November, after a historically sharp and short-lived recession during the spring, most major economies are now in early cycle recovery. China is somewhat ahead of the rest of the world due to largely to the, the faster reopening that's occurred there. But in the United States and in you know, the European markets, Uh, Both consumer and business confidence continue to improve. Uh, Activity levels remain below normal. The progress is uneven and and the virus cases, as we all know, remain elevated. Uh, But we still think we're in early cycle. I think it's difficult to pin down, though, some of the asset allocation decisions that come from that early cycle uh, idea, because since 1960, the average total drawdown of the stock market, so not the economy, but the stock market, uh, the average drawdown was minus 33% and it lasted 340 days. This one, if you think back to the first half of 2020, the market was down about 34% and it lasted only 23 days. The crazier stat is, is that the average days to return to that peak, it's, it's typically years. And in 2020, it only took 129 days to get back to even. So the bottom line is from a business cycle perspective, still feel like we're in the early part of the cycle but you may have a situation where some of those equity market gains have occurred faster than they would otherwise normally happen in different parts of the business cycle.
0: Fidelity has also always been on the cutting edge of financial services and technology and one example is Fidelity Labs which as i understand it is basically a startup fintech incubator with Fidelity. Can you tell us more about this project? Sure.
2: So Fidelity Labs is uh, Fidelity Investments in-house fintech incubator led by Mona Vernon, and it builds new fintech businesses to better serve our customers and enter new markets. In the last two years, more than 10 startup projects have been incubated within Fidelity Labs. One of the examples that I really like is how we've helped streamline student debt repayment by creating an employer-sponsored program to help employees pay off their student loans more quickly. There's a number of different fintech projects that are uh, that are in flight with Fidelity Labs. Uh, another kind of example of, of more interesting work, maybe, would be virtual reality experience that we've driven for Fidelity Associates to keep them engaged in, in this new virtual world that we're all living in since the onset of the, of the COVID pandemic. We actually had over 100 employees that use these virtual reality headsets as part of this remote onboarding program. To replace our traditional in-person training program that we would have uh, in the spring each year. So it just gives you a sense of some of the the projects and businesses really that are coming out of both Fidelity Labs and then the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology known as FCAT.
1: Fidelity's always been so progressive again, but another thing which is really cool with Fidelity started a couple of years ago was digital assets. I think it started in 2018. What is the firm's thinking on cryptocurrencies?
2: Sure, so we don't currently use cryptocurrencies in the model portfolios that we spent some time talking about today, but if you look across Fidelity, our belief in digital assets is really firm-wide and we've been working for years to develop a blockchain ecosystem with a heavy focus on the research and development and this goal of becoming a holistic solutions provider in digital assets. Our initial focus in the space is on institutional needs, So if you think back to my earlier comments about Fidelity Institutional and who we service, we're really talking about hedge funds, family offices, REAs, and financial advisors. And there's two offerings in that space that I can speak to briefly. One is Fidelity Digital Assets, where we offer institutional quality custody and trade execution services for digital assets to those institutional investors. Those services would include secure, compliant, institutional quality custody or storage of Bitcoin. And a trade execution venue that facilitates trading for clients by providing them access to multiple vetted liquidity providers through a single platform the second offering would be fidelity digital funds which makes digitally native assets accessible to institutional investors that seek exposure to these assets through familiar investment vehicles we continue to hear that investors want exposure to this emerging asset class through both direct and indirect investments so they're both areas of focus for fidelity uh, but if, if I could go back, actually, Rusty, to your earlier yeah. point and flip the tables a little bit in the q and yeah. I, I should have mentioned this earlier. We do have <laughs> that connection point. The model portfolios that we've been talking about during this podcast, many of them are generated by a division inside of Fidelity that's called strategic advisors or, or SAI. And it's yeah. a division that, if I'm not mistaken, you worked in once upon a time and helped build out some of those early model portfolios for Fidelity. So my way of saying thank you uh, for the effort <laughs> you put forward right. and for the help you've given us. But I'd also be curious to get your perspective on how the ecosystem and, and the model marketplace has evolved over the last few years.
1: Yeah. Oh, man, you just turned it around on me. I'm the one asking questions. So, yeah, the... Um so, strategic advisors in the late '90s. Actually, I just talked to some of the old gang just the other day too. I, they're managing between six and seven hundred billion now. It's really been amazing, and uh, the talent and resources that were there were just so tremendous. Um, In terms of of the model marketplace, and just in my opinion, is that to me, the exciting thing is just the acceptance of it. I guess there's the advisor acceptance where obviously they've embraced it for very good reasons. I mean, many advisors are really good at being a counselor. Um, They're really good at relationships and be able to use a model portfolio just enables them to spend more time just at their strength and it isn't just it's that's great for the investor and it's great for the advisor as well because then obviously they can grow their business and i think in the terms of the model portfolios themselves you know it you know, 25 years ago you could do due diligence on managers and strategies and quite frankly you could find a lot of really shoddy ones out there and in terms of the workmanship and craftsmanship that went into them the model portfolios are really up their game i mean they still run the gamut but there's a lot of really solid Model portfolios out there that I think that are reliable and consistent, and they have a lot of great support that goes along with them. So, anyway, you totally surprised me with that curveball, but
0: I, <laughs> I hit it.
2: I appreciate you uh, going through it, though. I think it's valuable perspective.
0: You got to keep him on his toes. That's good job. I know, geez. Well, so I'm going to throw another
1: curveball back at you because now it's another really important question. It's going to be super useful for me because, again, we're recording this in November, which means it is that time of year when I start looking for book ideas for my investment team's White Elephant Book Exchange. It's really important. I need some really cool ideas. So do you have any book recommendations for advisors or investors or even newbie investors?
2: Sure. Love this question. And actually, you probably have a number of folks in this podcast who will give you finance type ideas. I'm actually going to give you one that, that's not finance, but I think it's incredibly interesting and, and maybe it could be applicable to financial advisors. It's this book called Why We Sleep, and it's written by Matthew Walker. And it talks about the importance of sleep, best practices for getting good sleep. and And then finally, this idea of chronotypes, which are these behavioral manifestations of underlying circadian rhythms. And it's really just simply... When do you get your best sleep, morning or night? I don't know who you are, Rusty, if you're a morning guy or a night guy, but that's why we thrive. You think about cavemen and women. someone watches the fire all night and someone wakes up early to go hunt or gather. It's just this good reminder that we're greater than the sum of our parts. And to tie it back to investing, it's also a reminder not to overextend yourself, right? Get your sleep, work together, and find people and partners who can help make a, a better more comprehensive service to your end clients. And that kind of ties a little bit back to what we talked about for outsourcing model portfolios and portfolio construction. uh, We're greater than the sum of our parts if, if we work together. So not directly a finance recommendation, but Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker is a great read.
0: Ooh, juicy one. Another one from my buying list. Nice. Well, sort of along the same lines, Matt, um, but outside of books, what other information resources um, can you recommend for advisors and investors, particularly in times like we are living in now when there's just there's so many variables at play and there's so much information out there trying to explain them all?
2: Sure, and it, it wouldn't be a podcast if it wasn't, you know, having somebody on your podcast who's promoting yet another podcast. Uh, <laughs> we've got several podcasts of our own. One's called Thinking Outside the Portfolio, and so that's a podcast that provides insights to financial advisors and helps them best position their clients' portfolios. Really, more of an investment podcast. The second one that Finley has is called FinPoint, and that's about trends and shifts in the wealth management industry and how firms can embrace and, and enhance their value propositions. Uh, I'm also you know, active on, on social media. Uh, I like to follow Mike Durbin, who's the leader of Fidelity Institutional, Judy Marlinsky. Uh, those are folks who share a lot of their insights on LinkedIn. And then if you're, if you're on Twitter, someone like Urian Timmer, that's J-U-R-R-I-E-N Timmer um, is a good person to track from a Fidelity perspective in terms of marketplace trends, what he's seen in the market, how to invest. Um, that would be another kind of recommendation I would make. And And then the last thing I'd just say is there's an about Fidelity page on our site. So if you go to institutional.fidelity.com, you can find a list of all of the thought leaders that I just kind of referenced and, and all of the different podcasts and pieces of content we have out there.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, good stuff. Well, that's going to do it for this week, I think. Matt, it's been great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for
2: having me, and thank you to Orion.
1: I also want to say thanks, Matt. Too, the uh, Urien Timber was a classmate of mine in school. So the only person he didn't mention that first of all has a lot of great information, a lot of great spokespeople. But Dirk Hofshire is also an Omaha native, so we uh, we like talking to Dirk as well. But again, so many great resources from Fidelity. Thanks for being on the show. Good luck to Notre Dame for the rest of the year. It might be exciting to see a different team in that in the national championship this year.
2: Let's wish them luck. They might need it. <laughs> thanks, Russ. <Robbie. laughs>
0: All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Hey, Rusty, final words? Thanks again to Matt and for everybody else, stay balanced and stay the course. All right. Well, we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine and thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Officer at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty@orion.com. orion.com.